0: Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, Hope everybody had a nice week. Uh, Our family actually had the opportunity just the other day to sneak off to one of our favorite places. So we made our first, the inaugural 2018 Knobles run. So that process has already begun. So I apologize now for how many times during the course of the next three months you're going to hear me refer to the different fried foods that I've enjoyed there and uh, the different things of that nature. But we had the opportunity to do that the other day. We took that opportunity, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, we're looking forward to the fact that we actually get to do that again with the youth group coming up at the end of this week. So that's going to be happening twice in uh, a short span of time, which is extremely fun. So if you don't know what that is, check it out online, our favorite amusement park. It's a lot of fun. Now, uh, last week, we started looking at, uh, we started a series here that we're referring to as, you know, who is God, right? And we're looking at what the scriptures tell us about who God is. We talked specifically last week about the Trinity, and we talked about God's nature, and we talked about some things related to that. And today, as we take a look at at our scripture today, we're going to be in John chapter 17, for part of our time, and then we're also going to be jumping around to several other portions of Scripture, but we're going to be talking about knowing God, because one of the things that becomes abundantly clear when we take a look at the Scriptures is that the Lord wants to be known. He wants us to know Him, and uh, we're going to be seeing that in a variety of places today. So if you would, take your Bibles and open up to John chapter 17, and we'll be picking up with verse 1. I'm going to be reading down to verse 5 of John chapter 17. So this is what it says, starting with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. And Lord, we pray that by your grace that you'd help us to understand it more. We pray, Lord, that just as you have told us in your word that you want to be known, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to know you. We pray, Lord, that you wouldn't seem distant and remote to us, but that we would uh, just fully appreciate who you are and the fact that that you've revealed yourself to humanity. You have not chosen to hide yourself from us. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture from John 17 and as we look at some related Scriptures today, we pray that by your grace that our hearts and our minds would be open to this teaching, that you'd speak to us now, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to gather together today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm guessing that each of us probably have a list of people in this world that we would like to get to know, and I'm sure that that list probably includes quite a few people that we already know a lot about, but there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing that person in a personal way, actually having a relationship with somebody. I actually had uh, the opportunity just the other day, so my sisters came down, and right now we're just going through a lot of... Uh, just different family paperwork and and pictures and things like that. And they brought down uh, several hundred old family pictures for me to look through. And maybe you saw something that I posted the other day. I posted this picture. Now, it's not a super clear picture, but it's clear enough. And I actually wonder if maybe I could get the resolution on that improved at some point. There's probably some way I could tweak that. But that man is my great-grandfather. I never met him. Uh, I think at this point, I'm older than he was when he passed away. Uh, his name was Joseph Lewis. I've referenced him from time to time because I feel like I know a lot about him. Um, uh, so is my, my, my mother's mother's father. Uh, and um, the Lord blessed him with sons and daughters, and uh, he worked in the coal mines of Wilkesbury. And uh, at, at one particular time uh, while he was working there, there happened to be an accident of some kind. I actually think it was a cave-in. And he lost his life working in the coal mine. And my, uh, my grandmother's brother had to come to school to pick her up. She was at school, so he walked to school and uh, had to bring her home and couldn't bring himself to tell her what had happened. He just cried as he was bringing her home. And growing up, my grandmother told me a lot about him. She said he was one of the nicest guys. Uh, in fact, when he would discipline her brothers, uh, he, you know, cause you know how boys are, they're just rambunctious and, you know, sometimes could be a little extra work. And, and so when he would discipline them, uh, he would follow through on disciplining them. And then while they were crying, he would sit down with them and cry it out together with them. She said he always did what he felt like he needed to do, but it always bothered him to do it. So while they were crying, he'd sit down and cry with them. My grandmother said that he was well loved by the kids in the neighborhood because he was one of the few adults who would actually play games with them, uh, in the evenings. Most of the adults were, were tired and really didn't want to play kid games. And so Joseph Lewis, my great grandfather, would do that. And the kids loved him. And, uh, she told me a variety of other things about him and The end result is, uh, I feel like I know a lot about this man, Joseph Lewis, my great-grandfather, but I've never met him. So again, I know a lot about him, but I don't know him. And uh, I do look forward to to the day when I'll have the privilege to actually meet him in the presence of the Lord, but right now, I just know about him. I don't know him personally. Our Lord wants to be known by us. Uh, Certainly, He wants us to know things about Him, but in addition to that, He has revealed Himself to us so that we could come to know Him in a personal and a relational way. And the portion of Scripture that I just read from John 17 is a portion of Scripture where Jesus references that, where He speaks of that. And one of the benefits that Jesus speaks about that comes to us as we actually know God in a personal way is eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus reveals that those who know God are granted eternal life. Let me reread that verse. Jesus said in that verse, he said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he says, this is eternal life. Now, before we dig into that, let me ask this, just a quick question, it's really just something for thought, but have you ever experienced a season of time where you felt like you were living in a rut, where everything just kind of felt like it was going, you were going through the motions, but it just seemed like the longer you went through the motions, the deeper the rut got. I remember a stretch of time uh, a little over 10 years ago when I was in my early 30s, when I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. At the time I was leading several ministries, Uh, all four of our children were very young. Uh, I barely had a moment of time that wasn't demanded of me, you know, where there wasn't some sort of demand uh, in my life that was kind of taking up that time. I remember I didn't have enough time to spend with my family. Uh, I wasn't happy with what my day-to-day life was starting to become. And so fed up with what things were starting to look like, I decided to make some drastic changes. And what I did was I cut a lot of things out of my life that didn't need to be there, and I started dedicating specific time. I always find that if I put something down on a schedule, if I put something down on the calendar, it actually happens. So I started carving out specific time for my family. I started taking better care of my health. I started scheduling vacations. I even started managing our personal finances differently, and I watched In the process of making those changes, I could also sense that my walk with the Lord was being strengthened in the process, and the end result was a much better daily life, not only for me, but also for my family, and I noticed that things changed kind of drastically, and I bring that up because when we look through the pages of Scripture, even when we look at John 17, which we just read, it starts to become quite apparent that God is very concerned for our lives. He's concerned about your life. He's concerned about my life. He is the author of life, and he desires that we experience an abundant life in him. And likewise, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, he speaks of eternal life. He tells us that he's offering us eternal life. And if we accept the gift that he's graciously offering, our eternal life isn't something that is restricted solely for the future. It's something that we begin enjoying right now. So right now, if you know Jesus Christ, you're experiencing a portion of your eternal life. Later, you'll be experiencing your eternal life as well. But it's not something just relegated to the future. It's something that you get to enjoy and experience right now. And Jesus makes abundantly clear here in John chapter 17 that eternal life is obtained through knowing God. So, you know, we started last week this idea, or looking at this idea of who is God, and one of the things that he makes clear to us is that he wants to be known, that that's something that is a desire that is on his heart. He wants to be known, and Jesus tells us that eternal life is obtained through knowing God. So in John 17, 3, he speaks of knowing God the Father, and he speaks of knowing himself, God the Son. In John 14, verses 9 to 10, Jesus made this statement. I don't have a slide for it, but he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And so what Christ was stressing there is the fact that to know Christ is to know the Father as well. That's what Christ was making clear. And the way the word know is being used in this portion of Scripture, it conveys a very specific thought. And what it stresses is a personal or a relational knowledge. So where, when you read the word know there, think of it in very personal terms, not just data terms. We're going to talk about the importance of learning data or learning information in just a second. But here, the way the word's being used, it's being used in a very personal and relational way. And Jesus was stressing that when we come to know him in a personal way, we're blessed with eternal life. He delights to grant that life to you as a gift. Eternal life is not a reward for service. Eternal life uh, is not a commendation for a life well lived. Eternal life in the presence of God is granted as a gift to all who come to know him in a personal way. Christ himself said that there will come a day when people are going to stand before him. And some of those people who stand before him are going to be people who knew plenty about him, all sorts of information about him, and even did various deeds in his name. But because they never trusted in him, and because they never knew him in a personal sense, he says they will be cast away from his presence forever. In fact, this is what he tells us you workers of lawlessness. When I read that portion of Scripture, doesn't that just sound like the—that that is the worst thing that you could ever hear? To come before the presence of Christ, to stand before Christ, and for Christ to, to look at any one of us or anyone else that's on this earth and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. The goal of my life, the goal of your life, is to know Christ. That's what Christ wants us to experience. That's what Christ wants us to have. Christ delights to bless us with eternal life as we come to know him as a gift. And so, you know, as we begin this, as we're looking at this today, it's important for us to ask the question of ourselves, do we know Christ in a personal way or not? There are going to be plenty of people who stand before him that know about him, and Christ is going to say, yeah, you may have known about me. You may have even used my name as a tagline to kind of bolster some of the activities that you were involved in, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Christ wants us to know him in a relational way. Christ wants us to know him in a personal way, and we'll develop this thought over the course of the next few minutes, but I want to show you a variety of ways as we continue this thinking that he's made that possible that he's made that clear, that he's made himself apparent to us. So we'll we'll take a look at that in just a few minutes. But let me also say this. When it comes to knowing God, obviously knowing God, he wants us to know him in a relational sense, but I don't want to skip over the fact that God also wants us to know him in an intellectual sense, and let me explain what I mean by that. I enjoy reading uh, all sorts of things. I I have a lot of books. In fact, I find that I I end up getting more books than I really need. Does anyone else do that? Does anyone else have that problem? And it's even worse now that digital books are easily available, and a lot of times you get those for free. You know, I'll get stuff for free, and I'll be like, maybe I'll read it. I probably will never read some of these things, but somehow it makes me feel better to know that at a moment's notice, I could read them, right? Uh, a few years ago, this was kind of funny, when when we got the new carpet in here and I had to empty my office out, it gave me a good opportunity to uh, just kind of look through all my books. Now when we first moved here 10 years ago, I gave away, I don't know how many books I gave away, my wife could probably estimate with me, but I know it was hundreds, it was easily hundreds of books we gave away. and um, And then when that office was purged, gave away hundreds of books. And one of my favorite things Uh, to read are books of historical, you know, anything, really. I mean, I love reading about American history. I love reading about world history. It's always been something that fascinates me to learn a little bit about how people lived prior to us, because we're here just a very short period of time, and our life has a lot of similarities, but it also has a lot of differences from previous cultures. By the way, whenever I read through older things, I am so glad for the hygiene options that we have in this era. Let's just be all collectively thankful for running water that is easily accessible. Let's also be thankful for deodorant. Do you know that as much as 100 years ago that, that they thought that it was like ridiculous for a man to wear deodorant? So I guess it was like a sign of manlyhood to just stink. Well, guess what? I'm glad I live now. <laughs> but one of the things that's kind of fascinating about this era of history that we live in, is just how easy it is to communicate something far distances in a moment. I mean, isn't it crazy that here we are in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, we're sitting in this room, and any one of us, probably almost every one of us, I bet you 99% of us have a device in our pocket that would allow us within a second to communicate to Africa, right? Or anywhere on this earth that you wanted to communicate. And you have it in your pocket right now. I got a message just the other day. I record the Bible, and I put it online, and different people listen to it when they're driving in their car, and I also have been hearing from people that have vision impairments that can't easily read the scriptures that listen, so I have that in mind each day as I'm reading the scriptures. I know that there are people that are blind that listen to the scriptures being read, and so that's their daily dose of the scriptures, so I enjoy doing that. I got a message from somebody uh, yesterday or the day before that said, hey, are you, are, are you the guy that reads the Bible online? And I was like, yes, I'm that guy. He's like, cool, thanks for doing that. I listen every day. And I thought, you know, and I found out where he was. Um, It wasn't as exotic as I hoped. It was uh, a faraway land called Ohio. Is anyone familiar with Ohio? I don't know. Sounds strange, probably made up. But anyway, it's like Narnia, right? That doesn't exist, does it? Um, But still, I just thought it was fascinating to think, all right, we live in an era where we could communicate so readily and so quickly and so easily over great distances in just a moment. And I say that because at no point in recorded history uh, can you point to or could I point to where the scriptures and theological study aids have been more readily available to us. Isn't that true? I mean, it's just so easy to get now. I don't even think about it half the time. I'm just so used to how easy it is to get any information I want. If I have a question when I'm going through the scriptures, I can find an answer to it in a moment or at least someone's opinion about it in a moment. It takes no time at all. The only time it takes is the, the time for me to formulate and type out the question. And then I find it. And there it is. And my curiosity related to that has something to chew on. We live in a blessed time. Knowing God is something that the Lord wants us to do in a relational way, but he also gives us the opportunity to know him in an intellectual way. And scripture actually encourages that. I want to give you several examples from scripture. I don't have slides for these things. I just want to read them. So I want you to meditate on them, but feel free to jot down the reference if you want to take a look at them later. One I read a lot Uh, One I read almost every time we have a dedication of a child here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Why does the Lord tell parents to speak of him in such a way with their children? When you're walking or when you're uh, having conversation, or when you're just around the house, or in our modern context, one of our favorite places for conversation is in the car. You know, we have a long drive or a short drive to just talk about things. Why? Because the Lord recognizes that before someone's going to know him and trust him, they're probably going to need to know a little bit about him, right? So parents, you have the opportunity to share with your children some information, intellectually, About the Lord so that they could learn a little bit about this one who created them Who invites them to know him in a personal way, but before we know him in a personal way We usually learn some data about him. How about this in first peter chapter 1 verse 12. It says this It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves But you in the things that have now been announced to you Through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So here in 1 Peter, you have Peter speaking about those that the Lord used to write the scriptures. And they were writing things down as the Holy Spirit inspired them to write these things down, but they didn't even fully understand all these details that they were writing down. And Peter says, listen, it was revealed to them that they were serving generations that would come after them. They were doing something for the benefit of those who would come later. And Peter even says, look, angels even long to look into this stuff. You know, sometimes I think we think that angels know everything. They don't know everything. They are created beings just like you and I are. And when you're a created being, you are not omniscient. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. We're learners. Angels are learners as well. And there are things that even the angels look at, and they're like, I wonder what God is doing. Or I wonder what the point of that is. I believe that the angels when they look at us when they look at you or I as we go from disbelief in the Lord to repenting of our, our of our unbelief and trusting in him I imagine that as they watch that transformation take place they stand in awe at the fact that the Lord changed a hard-hearted sinner's heart like mine or yours that they look and they're, that they're just amazed at watching the Lord accomplish that and learning and and seeing the things that the Lord does throughout the course of human history as he works with people. How about Acts chapter 17, verse 11? It says this, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So speaking of these people, as they're looking at the scriptures, as they're Looking through the details as they're seeking to gain in their understanding of what God has communicated, and they're comparing things and contrasting things and trying to build up their knowledge base. Now, as we study the scriptures, and obviously here in our worship services, we study the scriptures. I hope that in your personal time, you study the scriptures. Through our small groups, we study the scriptures. Through our children's ministries, we study the scriptures. But as we do that, as we study the scriptures, We always need to do so with the proper goal in mind. And what's that proper goal? Well, our goal should be that that we would know the God who has revealed himself to us in these scriptures, right? I've met many people during the course of my life who, you know, I say this facetiously, but it's probably somewhat accurate, who have, it seems like they have the whole Bible memorized, or at least they know major, major portions of it by heart. And yet their love for the Lord seems to have grown cold. It's like the Lord is just an answer to a trivia quiz or something like that. You know, they know all this information, but their love for him seems to have grown cold. Or maybe their love for him was never even there to begin with. Maybe they're just learning the, the scriptures for other purposes. I think it's also worth pointing out that Satan himself seems to know the content of the scriptures. When you look through different portions of the scripture and Satan speaks, what does he most frequently seem to be doing? He's often taking the scriptures and twisting them. He's taking data from the scriptures and twisting that, or like putting his own spin on it, or something of that nature. He knows the scriptures, but what's missing? He He doesn't combine a knowledge of the scriptures with trust and love for the one who created him. So you can know the Scriptures and not actually love the author of the Scriptures, is what I'm saying. The Lord wants us to know the Scriptures because the Scriptures point us to Him. And as we get to know the information in the Scriptures, our appreciation and love for Jesus Christ should be growing, because there isn't a single portion of Scripture you could point to that ultimately isn't seeking to point you to Him. The whole thing is, even the obscure parts, it's all trying to point us to Christ. Our Lord wants us to know him. And so let's, let's talk about this a little bit further. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. That's not Again, he doesn't want to be unknown. You ever see when celebrities go out in public, what do they tend to do? You know, they got like a ball cap on and they've got glasses on. Uh, I heard that one of my favorite musicians dresses up like a rabbi when he wants to go out in public. He's not even Jewish. But he found that the, the, it's the most effective disguise for when he wants to go out and, and about. And if I told you who, it would surprise you. Should I tell you or should I just leave that? At, should I say? Bono from U2. Check it out. See if what I'm saying is true. I, I, I read that when he got in his bike accident... Um, in Central Park that he was actually dressed up like a rabbi. People didn't know, he wanted to be able to just mingle with people in public and have them not know who they were or, or, or who he was. Now, you know, when you and I go out in public, we don't have that issue, right? You know, you're able to get in and out of a grocery store and not have too much issue. And actually, if we run into someone we know, even if it's someone we see all the time, what are we usually like? Hey, I'm seeing you in a different place. Look at you, it's still you. You buy food to I buy food at the same store. I appreciate you. Right? Isn't that what we do? You know, but when a celebrity goes out, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be known. And when you look at what the Lord does, he wants to be known. He wants to be seen. He wants you to recognize him. God wants to be known by humanity. There's multiple ways that he has made his existence evident, right? Now, there are many people who still try to deny his existence, and usually the reason people deny the existence of God is because to acknowledge his existence, it actually demands a change of lifestyle, doesn't it? Or a change of mindset. You acknowledge that God exists, that demands some level of change from us. But if we deny that God exists... Keep in mind that we're denying in the face of some very strong evidence. There are multiple ways that the Lord's made himself known. One of the most obvious ways that the Lord has made himself known is through his creation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, let me see, do I have a slide for that one? Yes, I do. All right. It says this, in Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So the things that have been made, what do they testify to? The fact that God's eternal power is there. The fact that God's divine nature is something real. These are things that can be clearly perceived, the Scripture says, by closely observing what God has created. Everything that exists, think about this for just a second. Everything that exists had to come from one thing that didn't need to be created. There has to be one something in nature that is eternal. There has to be one something that is eternal in nature that initiated creation, because everything else we observe is subject to the laws of cause and effect. So there has to be one causer who is self-existent and didn't need to be caused in order to initiate all that's created. And when you look at creation, it testifies when you start tracing it back, there has to be somebody who caused this. Or there has to be, there has to be one something that made this happen that didn't need to be caused. Because everything else is subject to cause and effect. And so creation itself testifies to a creator. I think God also makes himself known through the orderliness of what he's created. The logic and the structure and the clear organization of creation, it testifies that it's there by intentional acts. It's there by an intentional design of a creator. Um, I mentioned my office earlier. If you went into my office, there's a couple things that you would notice. You'd probably notice some memorabilia that I have in there that's comedic in nature, so you could check that out. Um, You'd see, you know, just a variety of personal effects, but you'd also notice the books that are in there. And if you look at the books, you would see that they are organized in a particular way. They're organized, I I tend to be a little OCD, so some of you are laughing because you're like, a little, and like nudging Andrea, right? Um... But the books are in there by category, and I kind of like when they're in height order, too. And so if you went in there, you'd be like, all right, obviously this didn't just happen on its own. By the way, my wife has a friend who organizes all her books by color. Weirdo. (laughs) Can you imagine that someone would go that far, right? Please stop being friends with that person, right? Color, please. Uh, But no, if you went into my wife's friend's office, right? And you see all these books organized by color. Or if you go into my office and you discover books that have been organized by topic and then by height. Would you walk in there and be like, this is crazy that somebody just threw these things in here and they landed that way. Or that these things just came to be in this order. And effectively, when people look at creation and it's got all this structure and all this orderliness to it, but yet deny that there's someone who did this. Doesn't that seem to defy logic? Don't you feel like there has to be a part of you that you stuff, that you say, no, 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 I don't want. I want to ignore the fact that this is so orderly, and this is so structured, and this is so logical, and this has purpose. You have to stuff that down to ignore that. Because it's obvious, Scripture tells us it's obvious when you look at creation. It testifies to the existence of the Creator. Think about some of the things just around us. I don't like when the trees lose their leaves, okay? I don't really, I'm not a big fan of winter. Maybe some of you, oh, I do know some of you like it, right? Some of you. But I don't really like it that much. Although I'm trying, I'm trying to appreciate it. But I don't like when the trees lose their leaves. But you know what? I'm glad that they do. Because if they didn't, what would happen when we got our first heavy, wet snow? You could either lose your leaves or you could lose your branches. What do you want, right? The trees had all come down. So God has orchestrated a creation in which trees lose their leaves so that when the snow comes, they can continue existing as a tree when the next spring weather comes, right? Or how about this? It's a weird thing I noticed when uh, when our kids were infants. Uh, And there's a lot of infants in this building right now. So I would just encourage you to all test this out and see if this is accurate. But do you ever uh, squeeze an infant's nose? Wendy just looked at me like, what? Why would you ever do such a thing? I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm not saying I would do it. Maybe you guys would do it. But if you ever go like this and touch just the nostrils, I'm not saying hold it. Just saying like, just squeeze it a little bit. It's hard. Yours isn't. As an adult, it's not hard. As an infant, it is hard. And I remember noticing that when our kids were were babies. I was like, why is the side of their nose hard? Like, why would that be hard? And why why does it get soft as you get older? And then you think about how does an infant eat? When they're nursing, they're pressed up against their mother. And the Lord makes it so that this area here is hard and it holds on to its form. And they don't suffocate. And you look at that and you're thinking... That makes sense. And when you don't need to nurse anymore, it softens out. How about this? The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. If it was closer, we would fry. If it was a little bit further away, we would freeze. It's right where it needs to be for the temperature that we need to live to exist. And it's a very delicate balance because if it was moved just a little bit, everything changes. You either fry or you freeze. God makes himself known through what he's made and through the orderliness and intention and purpose. I always think of like even eyebrows. I remember at one point just trying to analyze the face, not just nostrils, but even eyebrows. I was like, why do we have eyebrows? Like, Why do we have this like decorative hair? And then you realize when you're outside sweating that you're glad that that's there because it's catching stuff from going into your eyes. It's like everything about us. You know, you just look at all these details that God has intentionally designed. How about this? God even makes himself known through the morality and the intelligence of humanity. Consider this for a second. Our intrinsic sense of moral standards, the idea of right and wrong, The fact that intrinsically, we wrestle with those concepts of morality and right and wrong. And the fact that we are creative, that humanity is creative. I believe that those things point to the fact that we have a moral and creative, intelligent designer who designed us in his image. How about this? When we talk about God making himself known, how else does he make himself known? Well, he also makes himself known through scripture. Now, there's multiple ways that the Lord makes himself known through scripture, One way is that he's ordained over the course of hundreds of years through dozens of authors to progressively reveal more about himself. And he reveals things about his nature. He reveals things about his will. He reveals things about the plan of salvation. He reveals things about the future that he's orchestrated. He's also regularly confirmed the divine inspiration behind Scripture by fulfilling prophecies that could not be fulfilled by human decision. All sorts of things, hundreds of prophecies have already been fulfilled. That we take a look at the Scriptures, we see that the Lord revealed these things, hundreds and sometimes more than that, years ahead of time. And then they come to pass. They come to be fulfilled. I even think of things like prophesying where the Messiah would be born. Or things along the lines of when the Messiah would be cut off. You know, when you look in the book of Daniel, it tells us when the Messiah, the anointed one, would be cut off from his people. It's a unique prophecy that tells you when that was going to happen, then it happened, or tell you where the Messiah was going to be born. How many of us decided where we were going to be born? I was born in Kingston, Pennsylvania. I did not pick where I was born. Nobody gets to pick where you're born. And so when you look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled, it testifies to the existence of of the one who gave that information. Or how about this? God makes himself known through miraculous forms of intervening in the human experience. He's done things like speaking to people on occasion. He's flooded the earth. He's parted the sea. He's rained food from the sky. He's miraculously protected nations. He's caused the ground to open up and swallow people on certain occasions. He's sent angels to minister to people. And then you have Christ himself rising from the dead and appearing to hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. It says this in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. These are miraculous interventions, you know, different ways that the Lord has miraculously made himself known, made himself apparent to people, so that there would be no mistakes, so that there isn't, you know, this, so that we can't ultimately say, God, you kept yourself secret from me. You did not make yourself known to me. Because he did make himself known, not just in one way, in multiple ways, and he keeps doing that. He keeps making himself known so that we are not looking at him like he's some guarded secret. He's not trying to remain hidden from us. He's made himself known to humanity in the most obvious way as possible. And he continues to do so. And you don't have to look very far. Sometimes we're just so used to looking at the evidence that God has given to us that we just accept it as the way things are and we don't think one step behind it. Why are things like they are? Why, when I get a cut when I'm working outside, does my hand heal? If I squeeze it together and just kind of just cause that cut to, to reconnect, and then after a little bit of time, it's all of a sudden healed, and it's, it's fine. Why does my body have the ability to do that? Why are things like this? It's because we have an intentional designer who's made it that way let me say this as we finish up. There's a lot of things that the Lord's revealed to us about himself, and we're responsible with what we do with that revelation. We're responsible for what we do with it. We could ignore it, or we can welcome it. So what do we make of all of this? You know, God clearly wants to be known by his creation, you know, or by us, right? He wants He wants us to know Him. Now again, some people choose to squelch the knowledge of God while others embrace knowing Him and seek to know Him even more. And all of us are in one of those two categories. We either squelch the knowledge of God because we think that knowing Him is going to make a demand on our life. And guess what? It does make a demand on your life. Huge demands on your life that we should welcome. But many people squelch the knowledge of God in an attempt to ignore his reality or ignore his presence. But we're all responsible for what we do with this revelation. We could spend our lives living as if he isn't real, or we could take a look at what he's made, and we could ponder our own design, and we could read his word with the goal that we be changed to better reflect him. Jesus came to this earth to rescue and redeem lost humanity. As he did that, he was seeking to make God known to us in the plainest way possible. Because in Christ, God could be seen with the naked eye. You'd see Jesus Christ, and in looking at Christ, you're seeing God. And yet, even in that context, many chose to go their own way and deny what was right there in front of them. Do you ever hear of Charles Spurgeon? hes I really, really enjoy reading the things that he wrote. He was a pastor in the 1800s. Uh, He passed away right at the end of the 1800s. He became a pastor when he was a teenager, in fact, and uh, at one point um, was pastoring a very large church in England. And um, he would preach the the gospel clearly and effectively. He would preach the word of God. He didn't shy away from the hard parts. He wanted the people of that area, and anyone that would read his messages going forward, because he wrote a lot, he wanted them to know Christ. He wanted them to understand the Scriptures so that they would know Christ more. And from time to time, the Lord used him to speak uh, to to some people very specifically. It was kind of interesting how this happened, because you'd have the Lord basically revealing himself in the the context of using uh, that man's preaching. But there's a story at one point where, uh, I guess it was an evening service, and Spurgeon was preaching. And there was a man that had walked to the church. And I guess just before uh, he had got to the church, he stopped to get uh, just like a a flask of gin. And I guess he had already had a lot of gin already in his system, too. And uh, really wasn't up to, you know, up to good, I guess we'd say. So he was up to no good is how that'd be phrased, right? And uh, and he, he walked in there. And no one fully understood, you know, how, how exactly this kind of clicked in Spurgeon's mind. But Spurgeon looked at the man while he was preaching, and he said, "I'm just going to let you guys know that there's a man that just walked in here with a flask in his pocket, a flask of gin, and he's here, and he's up to no good. And I want to tell that man of his need for Christ." And so he preached the gospel. And that man trusted in Christ at the end of the service. And I thought that story was fascinating when I read it. And I read another one that was like it. Uh, There was a a woman, she was involved in prostitution, and she was actually going to, there was a a bridge, I can't remember exactly the name of the bridge, but the bridge started with a B. I can't remember the exact name, but she was walking toward this bridge, and it was near the church. And her intention was actually, as she got there, she was going to try and kill herself from the bridge. She'd gotten to the point where she was intent on committing suicide. So she was heading toward the bridge, but as she walked past the church, she thought, let me just stop in, and maybe I'll hear a word of encouragement or something of that nature. And so when she stopped in Blackfriars Bridge, she stopped in the church, and Spurgeon at the time had been speaking from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And in that portion of Scripture, that's a portion of Scripture that speaks of a, a woman with a... Uh, a reputation that was rather sinful. Uh, who was wiping Jesus' feet with her tears? And so this prostitute was hearing the message that day. And when you get to verse forty-four of Luke chapter seven, Jesus says, "Do you see this woman?" He says, "Do you see this woman?" And apparently, this woman, when she saw that, she she felt seen by the Lord, as the Lord was acknowledging. You know, the the woman with not a great reputation in his context, she felt seen by him. And at that point, she realized that the Lord was making himself known to her through his word, through the preaching of the word, and she trusted in Christ and began a new life. And I bring that up as we finish up today, partly because I just think that's fascinating how the Lord... Just, he orchestrates circumstances where he just intends on snatching you out of the life that you were in. You know, he just, I mean, he did that for me. When I look back at my own life, I could see that the Lord orchestrated circumstances that were not what I would have picked, but I'm so grateful for the result that I can't even disparage his choice of how it all went down. And I'm like, all right, would not have chosen that detail, that detail, and that detail But I'm so glad that the Lord orchestrated circumstances so that I would get snatched up from the direction that I was going. And many of you could testify that you've seen that the Lord has done the very same thing in your life. That's right. He has. He does that. We wouldn't pick those things, but He does it. And aren't you glad for the result? Aren't you glad that we have a God who looks at us and He says, I don't want to be a secret to you. I want to be known by you. I want to know you. I want you to know me, the Lord tells us. And he reveals himself to us. And the thing is, as we look at this, and as we're thinking about this today, this idea of knowing God, I want to say this. We can know God today, not from a distance, but up close. We can know him up close. He has ordained that salvation be found in no other name than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, he has, and he's intentionally revealed all of that to us, and he invites us to trust in him, not at some distant future date, today, this moment, not eventually, now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time where he's offering himself to us. And so the question for us to wrestle with as we think about this and as we finish up today is this, what will you do with what he's revealed to you? Will you squelch it, or will you welcome it? Will you seek to know the Lord in a personal way, or will you acknowledge his existence but not choose to know him relationally? Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived the perfect life visibly in front of people, giving them the opportunity to trust in him. And he gives us that same invitation, that if we trust in him, he tells us we've seen the Father and that we have eternal life through knowing him. That's his offer to us. And again, eternal life isn't something that's just future. It's something that begins now. That eternal life, that abundant life that we have in Christ is something that he offers us now. And it includes the experience of joy regardless of whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. If Christ is imploring your heart to trust in Him, please do so. Trust in Him, know Him, walk with Him, and let your relationship with Him grow day in and day out. Ten years from now, let it be stronger than it is today. Twenty years from now, let it be stronger than it is today. Progressively and continually grow in your walk with Him. Know Him because He wants you to know Him. Know Him because He wants to be known. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for giving us the privilege to be able to look at it today and even just to meditate on all the sorts of things that we see in Scripture and even in creation that testify to Your existence. Lord, we recognize that You would have been perfectly justified in ignoring us because we have rebelled against You. But Lord, You did not desire to do that. Your Word tells us that You looked at us with compassion. Multiple times it tells us that you saw us in the midst of our need and you had compassion. So Lord, thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for revealing to us the fact that, that if we know you, we will experience the blessing of eternal life. Lord, we pray for every one of us in this room, whether we're adults or children, wherever we are on that spectrum of age, that we would trust you, that we would know you, that we would walk with you, and that we would rejoice in the fact that we have an ongoing relationship with you that continues to grow sweeter as time goes on. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness, we're grateful for your blessings, and we're grateful for the fact that many of us can testify that you snatched us up from where we were, and you didn't leave us there, but you made yourself intentionally known to us. And again, Lord, the details of how that took place for many of us. Maybe it's different. Maybe it involves circumstances that we wouldn't really go back to or we wouldn't choose if we were planning it out. But in your sovereign choice, you made it so. And again, Lord, we're so grateful for the result. We're so grateful for the eternal life you've blessed us with through knowing you that we have nothing to complain about. So Lord, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your goodness. We pray that today and every day that we would just simply walk with you with simple trust, that our knowledge of you would grow, and that as our knowledge of you grows, that our love for you would grow as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.